You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, great to see you all. Welcome to those of you in the room and also online. So good to have you here with us, tuning in and being here physically as well. I'll get this question out of the way and then we'll move on swiftly. So, is it coming home? It's good. There's a good contingency believing it's coming home. And just to remind you, if it doesn't come home, God is still on the throne. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Well, with that in mind, and moving on swiftly, I'm going to dive straight in. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And um, I'm going to read in a moment the first 12 verses of that chapter. So just to give you a bit of a context of what's going on here, Jesus has begun his ministry, and he is gaining some popularity at this time. He has also called his first disciples to follow him. And he's been performing miracles, and he has preached that people should repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. So in a sense, Jesus is declaring like, a beginning of a new era, a new day is dawning at this moment. The kingdom is breaking out through him, and we come to this point in Matthew's gospel known as the Sermon on the Mount. So I will read those first 12 verses for us, which are on the screen as well. And it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Wow. And I've come up with a really inventive title for my message today. I've called it Blessed. Probably won't surprise you. And what a great passage that this is, known as the Beatitudes. Some of you will probably be familiar with this. And it's the beginning section of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And as I was preparing my message this week, part of me was thinking, it's quite a bold thing to do a sermon on Jesus' sermon. Thinking about it. I was thinking, yeah, you know, can I add anything to the master of sermons, to the great communicator, to the greatest teacher that has ever been and ever is? It was like me thinking today, it's like like me going up to Harry Kane before the game today, saying, hey, Harry, make sure you score some goals today, but have you ever thought about using my technique to kick the ball? You know, just thinking, he might go up to me and say, do you know who you're talking to here? Are you a world-class striker? Do you know what I do for my trade? Have you seen my goals I've already scored? Thank you for your advice, but no thanks. But the great thing about Jesus is that he also said that we should teach what he commanded. So therefore, I'm comforted by those verses today that actually when I'm doing this, this is what he wants me to do and wants us to do. Amen? 
So I am coming here also wanting to just share from his sermon that will hopefully encourage you today. You know, as I said, these verses are really groundbreaking in that they appear to represent the dawning of a new day, the coming of God's kingdom through Jesus. And Jesus, it would appear, is defining something a little bit different from what was probably the status quo. And what he's saying is that these people, these people that we've just, we've just um, uh, the verses we've just looked at now, the people that look like this, they are blessed. They should be considered as blessed. This is what blessed looks like. Those who look like this, the poor in spirit, those that mourn, the merciful, these are blessed. These people are in good shape for God's kingdom. And Jesus isn't just reading off a list of things that are nice for life, like some life lessons. But what he's doing is that he's actually changing around this idea that probably existed before this. The idea of what blessed actually looks like. He completely changes this idea of what blessed involves and is bringing a unique teaching. As I said, he's redefining the status quo that probably existed at the time. And it's probably good at this point to explain what is meant in the text by blessed. So most of us would look at blessed and probably think it means something like, well, when someone prays a blessing on you, like, Lord, bless these children, bless this person, make sure that that person feels blessed. But actually, in the context of the verses that we've read today, the, the, the term here, blessed, found in the New Testament and in these Beatitudes, is a word in the Greek which is called makarios. Now, if you guys at home or anyone here is good at New Testament Greek, my apologies if I didn't get that completely right, but the word makarios, and this word doesn't refer to invoking a blessing on someone as such, but rather what it does is that it affirms a quality that someone has or a state of being that someone has. So the idea is that they have an internal sense of happiness which cannot really be moved. So it's this idea that they have a joyous state within them. So another way to say these Beatitudes could be, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are those that mourn. That's the idea behind it. It's actually, it's a feeling of internal happiness which is already present. And the ancient world at the time that Jesus was in had their own view of what blessed looked like. But Jesus is completely changing around this view. He's changing it for us. And to give you a better picture of this, I want us to look at this parable that Jesus spoke in Luke's gospel. It's Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. They'll come up on the screen, and I will read them for us. This is what it says. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And you see, the Pharisee in this story, he represents the highly devout religious person, wearing nice robes. He would have been really respected in the community. He would have had a lot of privilege. People knew who the Pharisees were. They considered themselves as a separate group. 
so separate that they thought that anyone else who weren't like them or people who were sinners, even Jews or non-Jews, were unclean compared to them. Interestingly, it says that the sinner, the tax collector, kept distance between him and the Pharisee because he probably knew that he considered himself separate. And so the Pharisee represents really the one that is trying to live by the law, but they believed that they were living in the good way, in the best way. And outwardly, they looked the part and seemed to hold a lot of privilege in the community. And so when we talk about feeling blessed, the Pharisees thought, well, that's got to be us. We're probably blessed. I have reason to be happy. I have reason to feel good because I'm trying my best to serve God and live by the letter of the law. So surely I must be one that's blessed. I have reason to maybe boast just like we see in these verses. But his prayer, it reveals his heart, doesn't it? He did one thing right. He thanked God. He said, Lord, I thank you. Should have just left it there, really. But then he goes on to say what he thanks him for. And it revealed that actually, even though outwardly he might look the part, inwardly he wasn't anywhere near what was needed. His heart was not for people, not for sinners, but he looked down upon them. And Jesus wants us to see this. In fact, I find it interesting that the Pharisee refers to those sinners as the others. And then when Jesus refers to who is justified, he refers to the Pharisee as the other. Actually, he is saying, this one's the outsider. This one that you would think is most religious and most devout is the outsider. You see, Jesus is bringing a change to the status quo. He's changing things around. And as I unpack these first three Beatitudes, because as you can probably imagine, I wouldn't have time to do all of them today, although that would be nice, maybe, maybe not for you, but for me. My hope is that God can turn around your situation as well, that you would know today that just as Jesus flips around or changes the idea of what blessed looks like, that maybe in your situation, you would know that as well. That you would know actually, maybe today you don't feel blessed. Maybe you're thinking, I'm my, in my situation that I'm in, I don't feel blessed at all. In fact, everything's going wrong. But today my hope is that Jesus could do a change around that he could change your perspective, change your feeling that you may be having to make you know that actually you can say, I am blessed today and that I can receive it and that I can access this. And my hope is that it could be a game-changing moment for you and the beginning of a new day, just as it was when Jesus brought these verses originally. And so firstly, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, the term poor in spirit might make you think that Jesus is talking about poor people, and probably in some way that might be correct. That might, that in the Bible, it does talk about God wanting to bless the poor, so I'd probably agree with that. But in Matthew's gospel, the term that he uses here, he spiritualizes the word poor. He actually says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I remember thinking to myself when I read that, even a few years ago, and even recently again as preparing for today, what does he actually mean? What does that mean, poor in spirit? And as we dig into this a little bit more, as is usual with Matthew's gospel, he uses a lot of Old Testament ideas that Jesus then fulfills in the new. He, he's very good at doing that, and this is no different. And actually, I think something can be seen about what this term, poor in spirit, means when we go back into the Old Testament. And I'm going to look up this verse in Isaiah 66, verse 2 for us. It's going to come up on the screen as well. And this is what the prophet said. He said, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So the idea behind poor in spirit refers to someone who has like a, like a humble, pious posture before God. 
They seek to, to only live for him. They come to him in trembling. They, they want to serve him. They want to obey him. They want to come before him and do all they can to please him. They know that they're a sinner in need of grace. They know they need him. In a nutshell, the best way to say it is this. They are surrendered. They yielded to God. They want to do right by him. They want to live only for him. They seek him. And for these blessed people, we're told this, that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or you could say the kingdom of God. They possess the kingdom of heaven now. Not will be, theirs now. They possess the kingdom of heaven. Quite a mind-blowing concept, but that's what it says. Those that seek him, that pursue him, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Interestingly, not the arrogant, not the aggressive, not the most powerful, but the poor in spirit. It is those that are blessed. And a good way to imagine this is, I'll do the best I can to try and give you a picture. It might not cut it, but just, just try and work with me here. The best way to, to try and imagine what this looks like, it's as if the poor in spirit, they understand that it's important that they empty their heart of as much things as possible that may restrict them from seeking God. So you can imagine it like, actually they've made a decision to say, there's only really room in my heart for God. So the idea is like, it's like an empty poor man's house, put it that way. There's nothing in there because it's only reserved for God. Only, only room for him. Everything else can be important, wealth, money, cars, whatever it is, relationships, they're important things, but when it comes to me seeking and living for something, only God has that reserved space within me. That's the idea behind it. So the poor in spirit speaks of someone who wants to follow God. They have emptied themselves of worldly things because they have surrendered all. There's nothing there because they've surrendered it all to God. They said, God, this is for you. This, everything in my life is poured out for you. What an amazing concept. What an idea and a challenge that is to us today, church. And it is a challenge, isn't it? These words that Jesus brings, it's a challenge because if we're being real, it's hard to be free from things. It's hard. You know, so much I think to myself, oh, Lord, I just want to seek you. I want to do this. I want to do that. But then there's things happen. There's that thing going on or, or I, I pursue this and I don't realize that actually my heart is actually full of things and it's so easily done. Now, I'm not saying that things in our life aren't important. I'm not saying to you today, you know, get rid of your car, sell your house and say, Lord, I'm poor in spirit, yay. What I'm saying is, is actually they have to have their rightful place in comparison to where God is in our lives. They have to be placed in the right place. And that's the key thing I want us to understand when we look at this today, is that you can have absolutely nothing going for you, in a sense. You can think that, that nothing is right, nothing is going right, but you can still be blessed if you have God, if you have him as the centerpiece in your heart. It's amazing, isn't it, how easily it happens. Rather than us looking to the creator and coming to him and coming humbly before him and worshiping him, we've replaced him with these creations. But some of the things that the world offers, again, not all of them are bad, but it's amazing how that happens. I love the way A.W. Tozer says it in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, when that happens, when we replace things in place of God, it's the monstrous substitution. Because those things were only meant to serve us and to serve us to serve God. To come closer to him is something that he wants us to do, but it's amazing what things can come between us. You know, and I have to know this, even in my own life, I have to be aware of things. 
One of the things that I have to keep checking my heart with is approval of man. Wanting to please people. Isn't it amazing how actually you don't realize that you're serving that rather than serving God? And it can happen so easily. And I have to come to God and go, God, I know this is a bit of a weakness for me, but Lord, I want to surrender all to you. I don't want to just serve what people want me to do or look for their approval, even though people are nice and I want to be nice to them. Lord, I want to come and I want you to be the center of my heart. I want to know, Lord, that you are the first and the last, that you come first, Lord, that you, Lord, are the center of everything that I do. And I have to check myself. I have to check that I'm not living a life where actually I've made something else my God. It's become an idol. It's become my focus. And I understand that this is challenging for us today. There can be many things that can come into our hearts. We recently, as young adults, did a series, a couple of months series on our live nights called Loved. And we talked about how people, loving people and having relationships and marriage and being single was a gift from God. That these things are gifts. That when we love people and when we're married and we're pursuing holy, godly marriages, these are brilliant things to do. We're not saying those are wrong. But we always came back to one conclusion, which was always the key thing, is that People, yes, we need to love them, but God's love is unique. I cannot find my significance in someone else giving me love or me giving them love. My significance will always come through God's love. In order for me to love people better, I need to know that God's love is in my heart first. That I'm rooted and established in his love before anything else. And that we would know that today. And that we would know that he takes prized possession in us today, in our spirits. You know, maybe today you're here and you don't feel actually you're blessed because you say, well, I've always thought that those that have all the best things, those that have this going on, those that are in a relationship, those that, those that have got this going on, those that have wealth, those that have this, that looks like they're blessed, but Jesus would maybe want to change your view today and say, actually, that doesn't mean that you can't be blessed, but you can be blessed today. You know, I want to remind you today, it doesn't matter if you don't have what your neighbor has. It doesn't matter if you don't have the best car or house. You might not have the most popular Instagram account. You might not have found the love of your life right now, but I can tell you this, you can still be blessed in Christ. You can know that, you can feel it, and it can be a reality. And I believe the Lord will want to just show you that today, that you can know that you are blessed. You can know, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that seek after him, those that want to be yielded to him and surrendered to him. You know, this, the single parent looking after two or three children, struggling in life, she can still be blessed, or he can still be blessed. Because blessed are the poor in spirit. Secondly, blessed are those who mourn. Again, what a great verse this is, but it would seem again to go against what probably would be the norm in life or what we would see to be the norm, especially back in the first century where Jesus, in the context that he was in. You know, we can think, oh, blessed are those who mourn. Well, okay, I don't know how that works, but, but this is what it says in the Word. I'm like, I can only tell you what it says in the Bible. It says, blessed are those that mourn. So there must be something that Jesus is getting at here. There must be something that we need to look at in these verses. Because the reason I say that is because in society today, I see people, lots of different people, mourning and sad and grieving. 
and they're not comforted. You know, they, they, they say, the word here says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But I, I've seen it around. People aren't comforted generally in the world. So therefore, maybe Jesus is talking about a specific context here. People are broken with no comfort, but I think what he's saying is that those who are of the kingdom, those who know Jesus, they can know this. They can know blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted because God is our comfort. God can comfort us in our mourning. Even in the deepest and darkest moments, we can say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, the word mourn in the text here, in the original, there's a few different meanings it can have, but one meaning it can relate to as well is a feeling of guilt, feeling guilty, feeling shame. And that can be a part of someone's grief or their mourning. And as we go back to that parable I had, uh, read earlier from the, the, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. You know, it's like that Pharisee, isn't it, who was beating his breast before God. So aware of his sin. Can't even look up at God. He's like this, like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Grieving over his sinful state. Looking at the Pharisee and thinking, gosh, I'm nothing like that. How can I even stand before you, God? How can I even look up to you because of my sin? But the great thing is, church, isn't it, is that through Jesus, we know that when we come to God with a humble posture and we ask for him to come into our lives and his forgiveness, he comforts us. We can truly say, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted because he offers us forgiveness. He comforts us in our grief over sin. You know, when we struggle with sin, I've been there myself. When there's issues in my life, I can feel like, how can I even look up? Do you ever been in that room where you're thinking, I don't even know how to start this prayer. I don't even know what to start with. I know the Lord's Prayer, but I can't even say anything from the Bible right now because I feel so far away from God. I'm so painfully aware of my sin. But it's in those moments when we come with that humble posture and we say, Lord, I'm a sinner in need of mercy. And he pours out grace. And he reminds us that he has grace for us. Yes, he wants to transform us, but he has grace. And we can come to him openly. We can come to him humbly and know that he will comfort us in our mourning and our grieving over sin. We sang about it and spoke about it earlier when Gabriel shared about us coming to the Lord's table. Jesus has paid for our sins so that we can come forward to him. And even when we look at this idea of mourning or grieving, this would have spoken probably right into the church that Matthew in his gospel was probably addressing at the time. You see, they were going through probably a lot of persecution. In fact, the Beatitudes talk about it. Blessed are those who are persecuted. He talks about that probably to comfort them, that in their persecution at the time, that God would comfort them. And that probably would have encouraged them in their hearts. And probably for us today, maybe persecution isn't something as big as we would probably know about in terms of it existing, because in the West, it can look a bit different, but persecution can happen. Persecution happens, especially in some of those underground churches in the Middle East, and we pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted, that they would know that they're blessed. But probably for us, suffering or dealing with issues can come at us unexpectedly here. Life can throw trials at us, situations at us, and it can make us feel like, gosh, I'm not blessed. We can go through difficult situations. We can go through suffering. We can go through horrible things unexpectedly. But you know what, church? We still can be blessed. 
Because it says here, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But it is a challenging verse, I I feel. It's challenging for us today to try and appropriate that into our hearts. You know, I want to tell you a story. I remember about three years ago about hearing about a church leader who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. 34 years old, two children, and and, and a wife as well. Diagnosed, was feeling a little bit unwell, had some scans, that's what they told him. Completely flipped around, life completely changed, flipped upside down. And it was really hard to to obviously hear this because um, he was then posting updates on his church podcast. And I listened to his story because me and and myself as well at the time, I was also going through quite some serious ill health myself. And so I was just trying to be encouraged in different ways. And I was listening to his podcast and he was giving updates, which was an amazing thing to do about how he was getting on. And you could hear it as he was giving updates. He was broken. You could hear him just wanting to cry as he was recording. I remember looking at it thinking, he's so brave to do this. And it was hard to hear at times. And I was listening to what he was saying. He was, he was upset. He was grieving. And why wouldn't he? Anyone would, yeah? yeah? Anyone would be grieving and feel down. But you know what was so powerful, church? Is that in the midst of his grieving, he started to talk about how God was comforting him. How God was coming through for him. His life had been completely turned upside down. We agree that that diagnosis turned your life upside down, yeah? And not for the good. It feels bad. You would not feel blessed. But he was talking about how in the midst of it, Jesus was turning it back around again. Jesus was changing it. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, whoa, I can't get my head around this. How does this work? And I remember him sharing about one time he had treatment. He was there lying down on a table. They were giving him some treatment just to keep him going for a few moments crazy just to keep him going so he could have some more time with his family before he before he leaves it's just short-term treatment just say look we can give you this and he shared that he was on the treatment table and he was there and he obviously it was a horrible situation everything overwhelming him and as he was lying down he said the peace of God just came and he was there and it's like the peace of God just washed over him and he said Tears came out of my eyes. They weren't tears of mourning. They were tears of joy. They were tears of happiness. And it was like God was saying, this is what I interpreted from, it's like he said, God was saying, I'm here. I'm with you. No matter what may happen, I'm here with you. And you know what I realized, church? That was it. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. That, that's it right there in a nutshell. Those in their most grieving circumstance and most mourning circumstance, if that's even a word, just absolutely broken, can know the comfort of God. And I kept thinking, you know, I'll, I'll pray for this guy to get a miracle. But you know, that was a miracle. That was amazing that he could have that testimony. And it also got me thinking a little bit about this. His story really challenged me. And it dawned on me that, you know, the world... And I'm not saying all things from the world are bad. Please hear me right here. The world can offer us things. And they're good. They can be good. The world can offer us short-term solutions in our grief and in our suffering. But only God can give everlasting comfort. Only God can give that. There's a limit to what the world can offer. And again, some of it is good. We have to be considerate. But only God can give that. And I just... Looking at this and this situation, and it, isn't it amazing how someone's comfort comforts you? 
the God of comfort. He comes and he comforted me and he made me realize that, okay, I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> and even if it's not gonna be okay, I'm gonna be okay. What a game-changing thought that is, church. Imagine if we access that idea of blessed in our life. Imagine how God could change the darkest moments and moments of joy. Imagine what testimony God could give you. Imagine what faith that would arise in you if you accepted that God can change it around. That actually when I look the most least blessed person, I can say I am blessed because he's with me and he's my comforter. Anyone hearing me today in the room? And finally, as I finish my last point, blessed are the meek. See, the word meek may sound like it refers to being weak or timid in life. But actually, the meek, if we look at it in the way Jesus did and demonstrated it, meekness is actually a strength. You know, we can think meekness means you're weak and you're not powerful, you're not strong. But again, it draws upon this idea of coming to God with a humble heart, having humility before him, like that, that, uh, that tax collector, the sinner in the story, coming to God. I've beaten my breast a few times today, but it's all good. Coming to God in reverence, coming to him and wanting to live for him. That idea is present in this as well. But the word meek in the original Greek of the New Testament gives this picture of someone who is gentle in the way that they deal with others. So yes, it's coming humbly before God, wanting to obey him, but it's a posture that wants to be considerate and gentle towards others. Proportionate probably might be a good way of putting it. A positive moral quality of dealing with people. And it's the meek, it's the meek, not the powerful or the best dressed people. It's the meek that will inherit the earth. Wow, what a concept that is. The meek will inherit the earth. And again, this declaration would have spoke right in to the context of where Jesus was because Back in that time, meekness was not desired. It was despised. People didn't like meekness. People had power. They wanted to keep it. People wanted to keep their position. But Jesus said, it's the meek that will inherit the earth. It's those that are meek will inherit the earth. You see, the issue with meekness, and maybe you'll agree with me, maybe you won't, but it's just an idea that I have seen in my own life outworked at times. Meekness sounds great, but it's really hard to work out. It's really hard to live it out. Because within us is probably a little bit of a view, even though we have been saved by grace, even though Jesus has paid for our sin, even though we can say that Jesus has come, and I didn't deserve it, but he paid for my sin anyway, and he's allowed me access to, amaze, to an amazing God. Even though we know that, even though we know how grace and mercy works, there's something within us that tells us at different times, you get what you deserve. It sometimes happens. We can feel that in the moment. We can feel you get what you deserve. It forgets grace and mercy with people. It even forgets about forgiveness. And sometimes, instead of being measured or being appropriate, we respond recklessly. And I'll give you a little example. Have you ever been driving down the road or the motorway? And has anyone ever cut you up before? Now, isn't it really tempting to use sign language to respond to them? And isn't it amazing how more angry you get if it's a taxi driver? The reality is, 
okay, they cut you up. I know sometimes those things can lead to accidents and I'm not, 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 um, not acknowledging that, but I, I would say most times it's a bit reckless, but then how often is our then response can be quite reckless? So when we feel wrong, when someone's crossed us and we go, actually, I'm gonna get revenge. I wanna avenge that. I don't think it's right what you've done. No harm has really been done, but we still go on. I love this definition of meekness by Kenneth Bailey. He said this. He said, the one who is truly meek is the one who becomes angry on the right grounds against the right person in the right manner at the right moment for the right length of time. Is it worth saying again? The one who is truly meek is the one who becomes angry on the right grounds against the right person in the right manner at the right moment for the right length of time. And it's those who will live like that, those who have short accounts, those that will hold short accounts, those that will offer forgiveness, those that will see that actually we are sinners saved by grace ourselves and we need to show that to others as well. They are blessed and they will inherit the earth. When Jesus comes again in his fullness to the fulfillment of all things, it's not gonna be the most powerful, but it will be the meek that he brings together and says, you will inherit the earth. What an idea, what a concept for us today. And as we look to respond today, my prayer is that God would show you a different perspective of what blessed looks like. Maybe today this speaks right into your situation that you would say, right now, I don't feel blessed. Right now, I don't feel anywhere near blessed, but my hope and prayer is that today, this would be a game-changing moment. That God, that Jesus would flip around that and that you would see, okay, I may not have this going on. I may not be doing this, I may not have that, but you know, today I can say truly, I am blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I, I can know that for myself and know what bless, being blessed actually looks like today. That I can access that today. And what I'd like us to do, if you're at home and in the room, I'd like us all to stand together. And in a moment, we are going to uh, sing Graves for Gardens, and um, that may be your declaration that you need to bring. The words in there are really powerful. They just remind us that God is enough, and that when we have Him, we, wish we should know and remember that we're blessed. And it helps us see as well that God can change around our situation. But today... If you know you need to respond to this today, I'm gonna to just encourage you, respond how you need to. You might wanna put your hands up to heaven right now. You might wanna kneel before God. Whatever it is you need to do, put your hands out to him. If you know that the Lord has spoken to you today, I'm gonna to pray for you and pray that God would help change your perspective, help you see that you are blessed, that that is what is part of his kingdom, that you are his kingdom people and that you can access this today. So Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you remind us, Lord, that being blessed looks different in your eyes. Even though we may be aware of different ways that being blessed looks like God, Lord, you come with a message, a message of hope, Lord, a message, Lord, that transforms, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for people here today, Lord, Lord, where we need to know that we are blessed, where maybe we felt we're not blessed, where maybe we've replaced you, Lord, and thought not having you there or having something else there means we're blessed. Lord, we pray, change it around today. Change hearts, Lord. Lord, change lives in this moment. Lord, I pray that today would be the beginning of a new day, God. Lord, where we need to realize that it's the meek that are blessed and that will inherit the earth. Lord, I pray, change ideas in our minds. Change perspectives, Lord, things that have been ingrained in us. Lord, where there are people who are suffering and mourning today, whether over relationships, whether over sickness, whatever it may be. Lord, let us know today that we are blessed still. 
that we can access this idea of blessed, Lord, that it isn't far away, but we come to you today. We come with our need. Lord, we pray that people would come with their need today. They'd come and it would be an altar moment for them that way they could say, this is where change happened. This is where Jesus changed my perspective on how my life was and that they would walk forward in the power of your Holy Spirit. So Lord, we say, bring your blessing upon us now. Let us walk in the freedom, Lord. Let us know that we are a blessed people in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.